Testing. That's better? All right, there we go. All right, much better. All right, so we're, we're going on in our, in our st- uh, study in Acts chapter 2, looking at the early church and some of the things that were so foundational to what the church did, the early church, and their, their characteristics, um, I would call them. And I think it had been mentioned before um, that when we, when we talk about the church in Acts chapter, chapter 2, we're looking at verses 42 to 47 primarily, um, but also some verses around it, 42 being the key verse even for the whole series, not so much as a model for us necessarily how we need to do church, but what some healthy characteristics of a church are, and I'd look at them probably as a foundation for what a church should be. So if you're in Acts chapter 2, um, I'm going to go ahead and read, I want to read from verse 42 down through 47 again, um, just to refresh it and bring it back to our minds again. Verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing all the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending in the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, as you read that, I... I can tend to be, personally, I can tend to be really idealistic. And when things, really idealistic of how, of how something should look. And when it doesn't look like that, then I get frustrated. It's like, come on. This can almost feel like a utopia kind of church. This is just, everything is pristine, perfect. It's beautiful. And yet, the more I study it, I see this as the foundation upon which was built because they hit some really rocky times by chapters 5, by chapter 6. But the foundation that was put in place is what carried them through. And to think, maybe compare it to those of you who are married to your honeymoon. At some point, you've got to come home from your honeymoon. And there's going to be bills to pay, there's going to be work to do, there's going to be laundry, there's going to be yard to mow, there's going to be trash to take out, there's going to be tires to fix, flat tire on your truck, um, you name it, life is going to hit you. At some point, you're going to come back and life is going to hit you. So you can't live off of your honeymoon. But there's a foundation that you've built in your life and in your marriage that's going to sustain you not only through your honeymoon, but through the flat tires, through the dirty diapers, through the sleepless nights, and all those things that comes that come in our lives. And the church, I think, is the same way. As it grows, as it matures, and learns to struggle and wrestle through the hard issues because of the foundation that has been laid. And so as we, as we go through this series, if you may remember nothing else, remember this. Jesus is at the center. If Jesus isn't at the center of what we're doing here, if it's not the center of what we're doing in our lives, then we're missing a, the most important part of it. Think of it as, um, word pictures help me, think of it as a... A ripple, if you drop a rock or a stone into a pond where it's smooth water, the ripples and how the ripples proceed out. 
I see us as being the ripples, but Jesus is the rock that was dropped in that caused and produced the ripples. Sometimes we as ripples think that we're the purpose and the cause of the ripples, but we're not. It's Jesus. So everything that we're doing, everything that we're talking about from, so we, we looked at the first, the first time we looked at just the, how we were created for community, and last week Marcus talked about the importance of how they devoted themselves to teaching. And the teaching, he talked about how the teaching resolved or re, revolved around Jesus. And that's why we're going to be reading through the Gospels together as a church, those of you who are interested in that. Because it all revolves around Jesus and what he is. He's the epicenter of what they did there in Acts, but he's the epicenter of what we should be doing as well. So, teaching was the first one, and there's, there's four total that I call, I don't know. How many remember, are old enough to remember the Fab Five from Michigan? A few of you? Chris Webb, Jalen Rose, some of those guys. Michigan, so it was bad. But for some reason, I remember the Fab Five. I don't even remember who all the guys were. I had to Google up to find out who they were, but I remember Fab Five. It's something like that sticks in your, sticks in your memory. So, maybe think of these as the big four, the big four, the foundation for, for our church. It's, they gave themselves what, the, what they devoted themselves to. And by the way, we've, we've talked about it a couple of times, but remind yourself of what it means to be devoted to something. It's not something that you just dabble in occasionally. It's not something you just kind of do on the side. I heard one guy describe it as something that you're addicted to. You can't live without it. So think of that as you think of the things that they devoted for to, the big four, the teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayers. And so today we're going to be looking at two and three, fellowship and breaking of bread. In a lot of ways, they're actually closely connected with each other as we look at, as, at, we look at these this morning. <clears throat> and as I, as I, the more I studied and looked at these four, I began to realize that this encompasses the whole of what church is. So when you think about what church is, we talk about we go to church, right? So if, if you would ask the normal guy on the street, what, what's church? It's Sunday morning when you get together. Is that all it is? We hear the saying, we, aren't, we don't go to church, we are the church. I don't like cliches, but some of them are just actually pretty accurate. We are the church. And so, you think, I was thinking about it as I, as I studied. Every week, every seven days, every week, you have 168 hours to live. Now, you spend maybe eight hours a night, 56 hours of that sleeping. But the rest of that, what do you do with it? You still got 100 plus hours, 130 hours or so in your life. Every single week. And so is church, this, this family, this body of Christ, is church this Sunday morning that, produce, that is a matter of two hours, an hour and a half or two hours of that? Or is it much more than that? I think this is a part of it. But if you are the church, if you and I are the church, and as we look at fellowship and the breaking of bread and how they live that out, how that maybe can affect us, it is you and I living our lives in relationship with one another, with the world, fulfilling the Great Commission, 
every single day, every one of those 168 hours that you have in a week. It's not just two hours here on Sunday morning. If two hours is the extent of your Christian life, your church life, then we're going to be drained really, really quickly. So there's a, there's a word that's used a number of times in these verses, and it's the word together, and I think it connects well with this idea of fellowship. One of the things that we talked about the first time um, when we talked about community is how true community reflects the very heart and the nature of God. And I think fellowship kind of falls right into that. So think, to think of this, someone, actually, give, give me some feedback. When I say the word fellowship, what comes to your mind? Give me a word. Fellowship, what, what comes to your mind? Food, right? That's probably an initial one that pops in right away. Maybe, maybe, there's, some, um, maybe there's some negative connotations to it. Maybe it feels like, I don't know, something really strict and we, we've got to fellowship together now. Or, so what is fellowship? So let's, let's look a little bit at what fellowship is and how they lived out fellowship and how it, how it will impact us. So the food one is actually really good because the breaking of bread, the sharing of meals together, that's a big part of what fellowship is, and that's one of the things that they did, and we'll talk about that um, a little bit later. But one of the reasons why I think fellowship, as we'll define it here in a little bit, is so important is because Christianity is meant to be relational. This whole idea of being in it together. We're on a journey of life and we're in it together. Um, a couple weeks ago, a friend sent me um, a text with a, an attachment to the song, 10th Avenue North, that's, it's called No Man is an Island. I don't know if you anyone know that song, but if you, you get a chance, listen to it. And it talks about how we weren't created to be by ourselves. You living over here by yourself and me living over here. We were created to live in unity and in fellowship with each other. And it begins out of our relationship with the Heavenly Father, and then out of that flows a relationship with one another. But I wonder, in our connected world, with these little things, right? We're so connected with each other and everyone else. We're so connected. How is it that in many cases we feel more disconnected than ever? How many times will you see a, st- a stadium full of people? Well, the stadiums aren't very full right now, I guess, but take Jacob's Field or Progressive Field. That thing's packed out, however many, 30,000, however many people can fit in there. Someone can be in that 30,000, in one of those 30,000 people and be utterly alone. Someone can be in our church, in a whole group setting, and feel completely alone. So the question I want us to ponder and consider is how does fellowship, biblical fellowship, speak to that? How does it speak to that idea of not being alone, of not being an island? The word, the Greek word, and I'm sure this is, you probably all know this word, it's probably one of the few Greek words I know, is koinonia. I'm sure you've probably all heard that word. But it means to share common with, to share something in common with 
or to have joint participation. And that's what I want you to, how I want you to think about fellowship, is joint participation in something. So it's not just him doing something and him doing something. It's doing it together. You're in it together. There's, there's different ways this um, New Testament talks about this word fellowship. It's all throughout the New Testament. Paul uses it a lot. He says we have participation with or fellowship in the Holy Spirit. That means there, there's a joint participation in the Holy Spirit that we have together. Philippians 3.10, he uses it this way, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his suffering. And the word share is the same word that is used fellowship. It's the same word of joint participation in his suffering. Think about that as you relate to Christ. We have joint participation in his suffering, being we become like him in his death. <clears throat> so that means it's in joy, it's in sorrow, it's in the good, and it's in the bad. But in our text, he talks about it as they were being devoted to fellowship and to breaking of bread. I alluded to happiness um, when we sang, I've got the joy. Max Locato has a book, How Happiness Happens, and our, our small group's actually going through it right now. Um, and he, he gives a bunch of those statistics. Everyone is in some way, shape, or form is pursuing happiness. It's either through, through money or fame or something because we all want to be happy. We want to pursue happiness. Um, and he gives some of these statistics about the benefits of being happy. And I told you about the, um, the one that the happy people have better health, happy people have better marriages. Some studies would even suggest that happy people have more money because they're more productive. So think about that. Yet the, the crazy thing is fewer people in our world, fewer than ever, are actually truly happy now. I think the book was written maybe in 2019 and... Um, the World Health Organization was estimating that by the end of 2020, or they were predicting, by the end of 2020, the leading cause, the second leading cause of disease in the world would be depression. It's huge. So what's the antidote? And how does it tie into fellowship? What the book is about, how happiness happens, is there's over 50 statements in the one another statements in the New Testament. That's what fellowship is all about. It's joint participation. It's one anothering each other. And you look at Max Lucado in his book, he suggests that happiness comes when we give to someone else. Rather than trying to get happiness for myself, I give it to someone else. I give something. We one another. We bear with one another. We care for one another. We pray for one another. On and on. There's 50, over 50 of those found throughout the New Testament. And I think that is what, at least a part of what it means to live in fellowship with one another, is we actually one another in our daily lives. So I'm going to look at, I'm going to show you just three different ways that I think that the church or this text actually shows us how they live that out and then maybe how it can actually affect us. Verse 46. These are three ways that I see they expressed fellowship here in this text. In verse 46, they opened 
their homes to each other. And here's where breaking of bread, and I'll mention breaking bread here at the end just a little bit, but breaking of bread has to do with communion. I think in verse 42, it's probably referring to that. But in 46 and 47, I think it refers more to sharing meals in our homes. So they open their homes to each other. Is that something that we can do? Absolutely. Our small groups, we can do that. So they open their homes. That's one way they expressed fellowship. They expressed it with open hands. Open hands. And that's in verse um, 46 and 47 there as well. Is how they sacrificially met each other's needs. They were meeting the physical needs of one another. They sold their stuff. They shared whatever they had so that no one in their circle was in need. And that can be physical needs, but it also can carry over to our spiritual needs. So they served or they expressed their fellowship with open homes. They expressed it with open hands. And then I think they expressed it with open hearts. Said they, they took care of one another with glad and generous hearts. And I want to point you back again to the word in verse 40. Verse 46, it says they were together, and I thought it was in verse 44. Yes, in verse 44, and all who believed were together. A day by day, they were attending together in the temple. Together is foundational for Christian growth. Those, those ways that they expressed it, open homes, open hands, open hearts, cannot be expressed alone or in isolation. It must happen together. So the physical fellowship is the outworking of a spiritual fellowship. And so I asked myself and I ask you today, like, so what does that look like for us? How does that affect us? How do we open our hearts to each other? And I was thinking as we, I was thinking about us even getting together this morning. You think about all of us as individuals have come through, this, through the doors here today. Some of us have had a great week, had a great morning. Some of us had a terrible week, a rotten morning. The kids didn't cooperate, could barely get here on time. Or maybe not even on time, if you're like us sometimes. Maybe you're here and you're just flat out worn out. We're probably all here on one of those on one of those ends or somewhere in between. And so we all come with different needs, with, with, come for different, with different desires. We're all here from a different place in life. And so how are those needs, how do we meet each other's needs when we come with all these different things in our lives? And so I, what, I want, what I want you to think about is much bigger than church here this morning and how we meet those needs. Because can all those things be met in a 20-minute sermon? Can it all be met in 20 minutes of singing or in our Sunday school time? Can God use that? Absolutely, He does. I hope He does. I better shut up and sit down. So God uses all those things, but it's much, much more than that. It's you and I seeing each other and recognizing what's going on in another person's life today to this morning, but Monday morning, Monday after work. Someone's starting something new. Someone's taking on some new responsibility. Someone's sick. It, it's outside of this setting 
where we meet those needs as well. It's not just here. It's, and, it, and it happens from every individual, every part of the body that's here, not from two or three people. It can never happen that way. And so together, I think, is absolutely vital as we do that. <clears throat> and as we, as we do that, as we, as we care for one another in that way, my prayer is that as we gather here on Sunday mornings, it's a culmination of everything else that has taken place throughout the week. And that can be good or bad. It can be hard or easy. It can be, it can be all of those things. But if, if, the, if Jesus is the center of this and everything that we do outside of this, then church can become a place where we're able to bring all of ourselves without pretense. And we allow others to bring all of themselves without judgment. And we listen, we affirm, we encourage, we challenge, and we care for one another. And I want to point us back because if Jesus isn't the center of that, it's never going to happen. Think of where's the one place that you can go with all your shame, all your brokenness, all your pain, all your heartache, all your sorrow, all your sin. The one place you can go that you'll never be condemned and turned away from is the cross. And that's got to be the foundation from which all of that other stuff flows out of. Because at the cross, you find healing. You find redemption. You find forgiveness. You find freedom. You find all those things with Jesus as the center. Acceptance and belonging. And so let me just mention um, the breaking of the bread. It, it ties right in with the idea of fellowship because it's sharing meals together. That was a big part of their lives. Um, but I think it, it, it also goes much further than that than sharing meals. It, it, it's also a picture of how we relate to each other outside of here. It's how we relate to each other in our everyday lives. When we're going about our, our, our work, and, and all that stuff, how we relate to each other there. Um, the one idea that comes out of breaking, the breaking of bread and how it's used throughout Scripture, it's used in a lot of different places, is it gives this picture of breaking off something that you have and sharing it with another person. That can be food. That can be pouring a cup of coffee. It can be time. It can just be a phone call. It can be a text, whatever it may be. But well, that's breaking bread with that person. But then it also, it also talks, it does refer to communion, the breaking of bread. It does refer to communion. And the only thing I want you to remember or think about with that is we commune together, we take communion together to point us back to our first love. Revelation, I think it's the church at Ephesus that had forsaken its first love. That's why breaking of bread reminds us and brings us back to our first love. So just to wrap it up, how do we then, how do we practically live that out? <clears throat> it's a nice thought, maybe, but we don't live within a two-mile radius of each other where we can all be connected and getting, getting together all the time. How do, how do, what does it look like for us let me just give you, let me give you, I mentioned a few things, that the text, call, prayer, coffee, babysitting for young moms, or whatever it may be. 
But one way I think that we as a church can live it out is in our small groups. So if you're not a part of our small group, um, talk to me or talk to one of us and we'll get you plugged in. It's a great way. And I think it actually, I think it ties in directly with this text. Verse 46 talks about how they would meet at the temple, worship here. And then day by day they would break bread in their homes, in our, our small groups. So I think small groups, it takes something that can't happen in a larger setting and it brings it down to, it brings connection, it brings community with each other in ways that can't happen here. And it brings accountability, it brings vulnerability as we share and we can go much deeper with one another. That's one way I think we can carry out or live out practically this idea of fellowship and breaking of bread with one another. And as we do that, I'm going to encourage you, as you connect with people outside of Sunday morning here at church, do it Sunday mornings. I love, the, love hearing the conversation after church. Those are great ways to connect. But as you do it outside, I want to just encourage us to think about how can we spur each other on and bring us back and remind us and bring us back to that first love where Jesus is the center of it. And we encourage and build each other up and let Jesus be the center of it all. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your attention. I'm going to invite you to stand. We'll have a dismissal prayer. We're not going to have a song here at the end today. So we'll have prayer, and then you can consider yourselves dismissed. God, thank you for how you come and you meet us wherever we at. God, whatever we walk through the doors with here today, somewhere through some part of our service, through some person that's here today, I pray that you would meet each person where they're at here today. And I pray that as we go throughout our weeks, as we encourage each other, as we challenge each other, as we draw one another closer, as we draw closer to each other and closer to you, may you be the center of everything that's happening in our lives this week, personally, but also corporately as a body. So dismiss us with your blessing today. Give us a great week as we serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, you're dismissed, and have a great week.